0: I'm Trudy Morgan Cole, and after yet another hiatus of several months, I am back with another episode of Shelf Esteem. It's the podcast where I talk to interesting people about books they find interesting, and this month's podcast is a special Christmas episode. As you know, because of the whole 2020 COVID-19 thing, I have not been inviting people down for 45-minute chats in my enclosed, unventilated basement studio. That's kind of seemed like a bad idea. Gave a shot at doing one over Zoom, didn't love the energy, did one a few months ago with my in-house book expert, my daughter Emma, who will also be back for a short visit in this episode. Uh, This time I decided for Christmas to have a few face-to-face conversations in slightly more uh, socially distanced and well-ventilated spaces than my basement studio with a variety of people. Uh, And I sat down for a number of short chats with people, all triggered by the question, what book or books do you associate with this time of year? With Christmas, with New Year's, with the turning of the year? Are there books that you typically like to read and reread around this time of year? I got loads of great suggestions from people. Uh, some for children's books to read aloud with the family. Uh, some for uh, scary ghost stories to read around Christmas time and everything in between. So I'd like to share with you now some of those conversations I had with people about the books that they love and they associate with this time of year, and maybe you'll get an idea for some holiday reading as well. My first guest was my good friend, uh, lawyer, dancer, writer, and general creative person Lori Savory, and here's what she had to say about her reading traditions at this time of year. I guess my
1: tradition uh, is around the Polar Express. Uh, I was introduced to the book I think it was somewhere around 1993 by a friend um, during the holidays. She had a copy and she had the edition that came with the bell. And it was an interesting sort of thing. We just sat around, we were adults and we read this book. And I just thought, what a beautiful story. And um, so my husband at the time and I decided that we wanted to have this book as part of our christmas tradition so we bought ourselves a copy same one with the with the bell that went with it and every year on christmas eve we would sit we would have hot chocolate and we would read the polar express um when we adopted our daughter abby um, that became part of our christmas eve tradition as well um and so we would sit with her we read the polar express we'd have our hot chocolate um, And then, of course, the movie came out, and that became part of the Christmas tradition, too. Um, But the book is still uh, something that really holds a place in my heart in the story. And just the magic of being able to sort of sit and hold that bell and realize that, you know, the story is about maintaining your hope, even as you become an adult, even you know in spite of adversity and uh and and i think that's something that that's a message that i always feel is really important around the holidays Mm -hmm. um it's easy to lose sight in in all of the sort of the things that are around christmas right now and to me the important thing about christmas of course is the messages um that are taking us into the dark time of the year and you know that things like hope and light are what get us through Mm -hmm. um Another book that I've always associated with the holidays, or story, I should say, is um, The Gift of the Magi by O. Henry. Um, And uh, just because I, I don't remember, I was probably a young adult when I first read the story. And again, it was one of those that always, the message was so poignant. And, you know, the, the the point of the story is, you know, what you're willing to sacrifice for the person you love, what you're willing to give. And if you're willing to give that which you feel is most valuable to you, then you, you know, what you're for love, then you're really getting something back that's far greater than whatever it was that you sacrificed. And so I've, I've just always felt that story uh, and reading the original version by O. Henry is just so gorgeous. Um You know, and it's a story of poverty and it's a story of bleakness, but it's a story of what can shine through even in that. Um, So those are those are certainly two that have always meant a lot to me. And it was fun. I was involved in a theater company a few years ago, and we did an adaptation of The Gift of the Magi as one of our productions. And again, it was wonderful to sort of bring that story to life. A lot of people had never heard of the story. Mm -hmm. And so it's always nice to bring that story to new people because I think it's so powerful um, that these two young people who, you know, in the midst of having nothing were able to find the best thing, Mm -hmm. the best gift that they could give each other, you know? Yeah,
0: it's such a lovely story. It is.
1: Yeah, yeah. So those are probably the two main ones. I mean, I'm a huge fan of the Christmas Carol, yes. and you know, we go see penning the Carol every year with Aidan Flynn, and you know, and and interestingly enough, I don't recall. And my husband and I were saying that we didn't really recall ever reading the story. We just knew the story, you know, mm. and you know it from the Muppet Christmas Carol and the old black and white movie oh, and all it's kind that.
0: It's in the culture. Like we it
1: is know. in the culture. And so I think, I mean, we've seen Penning the Carol every year that it's been offered. Wow. And, um,. A couple of years ago, we decided to pick up the book and actually read it. So it was lovely because you know you do get to see certainly the the passages that are that are lifted right from the book. Um, you know, uh, we we know that we know the play so well that we can we can almost recite it word for word. But uh, you know, to really see the whole story, to read the whole story. Was, was really nice because like you said, it is something that's in our culture and you kind of know the story. But when you read the language, I mean Charles mm-hmm. Dickens' language is so beautiful yeah. and his use of language is so gorgeous that uh, it's kind of a coming back from the other direction uh-huh. to that. But it again, it was nice to it was nice to do that, you know, to, to read that language, to read that story in his words and get even more from it yet again. So it's another sort of layer on it.
0: Next up, I got a two-for-one deal when I invited uh, E.B. Reed, a friend of mine who has been a long-time member of the St. John's Arts community and is also a daycare teacher uh, to pay the bills. And she also brought along her partner, Mark Hunter, who describes himself as a historian in a former life, uh, now a policy analyst who also is a writer. Uh, and they both had... Uh, uh, some books to share, and also a very cool Christmas story
2: to share. We have, I've, I have two books I like to share at Christmas time, and then he, Mark, and I have one that we want to talk about as um, a part of our love story. But the the two that I wanted, I'm, every year I read the best Christmas pageant ever oh, yeah. by Barbara Robinson, which is a really cool book about just the hecticness of of Christmas and about discovering the true meaning of christmas and the other book i like to share with my daycare kids is um david wheel's um the meaning of crumb fest which is a rattling book recording um, as read by antonia francis and it's also a neat book about the festivity and the wonderment and the miracle of christmas Mm -hmm. and then mark and i have a secret book for our final share (laughs) (laughs)
0: what about you mark do you have that
3: Uh, I have a a favourite Christmas book, and it kind of comes from my... I I sort of have a a love hate relationship with Charles Dickens of all all people. I remember in high school uh, having Oliver Twist inflicted uh, on me and distinctly remember standing up in class one day in English and the teacher had left the room and I I, I literally ripped out a chapter from Oliver Twist and said see it doesn't make any difference to the plot at all. So as a younger person I was very bored by a lot of Charles Dickens. And then uh, I, in recent years, uh, started reading a lot of older uh, 19th century fictions. I'm a 19th century historian by training, so Uh I started looking into that sort of uh, thing, more just for a personal interest. So things, uh, Mark Twain is one of my favorite writers, and then I started looking into more of Charles Dickens stuff. So I've kind of fallen in love with uh, A Christmas Carol. It might seem cliché, you know, every Christmas we see uh, the black and white uh, version of A Christmas Carol or sometimes a colorized version. And of course, there's uh, Scrooged uh, with Bill Murray, which is a, a favorite uh, film uh, take on it. But going back to the, the story itself, it's uh, intrigued me and I've loved it so much because it is one of the essentially prototypes or early examples of time travel uh, literature. And in this case, It's uh, still time travel involving spiritual things and mystery. It's not a scientific, mechanical time travel like was introduced by H.G. Wells. So we get uh, with the the final spirit, you know, you are about to show me uh, shadows of the things that have not happened but will happen in the time before us. Is that so, spirit? Is one of the things Scrooge asks. So that kind of like makes you think about you know, your own decisions, uh, your own past experiences and Christmases that you may have had with family or by yourself. I hate to use the cliche, the road not taken. And then what are the future Christmases going to be like if you don't change your ways or uh, if you have changed your ways or found maybe a new family so that's that's why i've been drawn to a christmas carol i haven't read it every year uh but it's uh, one of my my favorite christmas stories
0: that's great it's such a classic but it's great uh, it's great to hear people's take on what they love about it and what's the what's the secret book
2: oh the secret book is the bible Interesting. Uh, yes um i have a copy um this is a I My godfather, who has since passed away, is was Ram Ramke And Aww. for my eighth, yeah, and he was quite a, a prolific member of the arts community. Yes, of course. And uh, so when I was eight, he gave me a copy of the Bible, which I have here. But um, Mark and I have been friends for a very long time, and he and I fell in love one day, well, when, on Christmas Eve, when I um, I go to the Ann Cathedral and I got up to read at the lectern during the service. And I'll let Mark take it from there.
3: Yeah, so I had gone to the service with Ellen and her dad. And we, Ellen and I originally met in university and reconnected in, in recent years. So uh, I had gone to uh, uh, the service with Ellen and her father. And I, I was sitting, we were sitting together. And I was kind of lost in the service, and then suddenly I looked, and Ellen had disappeared. Oh, where where did she go? And uh, I looked up, and she had reappeared at the eagle lectern at the uh, uh, cathedral. For anybody who's who's been to the cathedral or not, it's like this beautiful example of Gothic uh, architecture uh, in St. John's. And Ellen had stood up and was starting to read from uh, the Bible. Uh, for the 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 Christmas Eve, and we think uh, it's probably
2: a passage from Luke.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like,
2: so it was, it was a Christmas story, which right, is yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. So I kind of looked up and went, "Oh, oh, <laughs> she she's reading
2: oh from the Bible.
3: Oh, oh, <laughs> 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 oh, oh my." Yeah, so yeah. that's kind yeah. of
2: the. So we, I guess you can almost say we kind of fell in love on Christmas Eve. Yeah, at the oh, cathedral. So, yeah. so that's that's our little. Yeah. Christmas story. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. yeah. That's lovely. Yeah, well, yeah.
0: I was expecting some Christmas book stories, but I wasn't expecting a Christmas love story. No, so that's
2: and, wonderful. And with the ultimate Christmas book being the Bible, <laughs> yes. yes the original, text, <laughs> the original yeah, yeah, yes. So that's our. So those are our, those are our picks and our choices, I guess. Yep. You've already heard Dickens' A Christmas Carol
0: mentioned twice, and I promise it won't be the last mention. Uh, but I'm going to move now to a little conversation I had with library technician Julia Mayo. And uh, I mentioned I'm not recording in my basement studio anymore because of needing a little more social distancing. We actually recorded this one at the library just as it was closing for the day. So you hear, you'll hear a few library background noises. But honestly, for this podcast, if I can't do it in a relatively soundproofed area... A library would be the next best place to have it, wouldn't it? Because library background noises fit very well with the vibe of this podcast. Uh, So this is what Julia had to say about uh, books that are part of her holiday tradition.
4: One of my all-time favorite books, and I used to read it to my kids when they were small because it was a cartoon that was on television. So it's a children's book. And it's Little Gray Rabbit's Christmas. Little Gray Rabbit is the cutest Little character. She's just like like a little old woman rabbit, and she um, she lives in a little cottage in the woods with hare and squirrel, and they have their um, special little dishes and the way she has her tea, and they make cool things out of. Uh, woodland stuff that they find so thistles become brushes for squirrel's tail and it's just the cutest thing. Well at Christmas time it's all extra special because they have the animals the woodland animals come around and they do um, carol singing and um, they all exchange gifts and it's just a, a Just a really cozy little, oh, I just love it. I could just eat it up. Now, my children are grown now, but I still (laughs) take that book out and read it Uh at Christmas. And sometimes I force them to sit with me while I read parts of it aloud. So, I don't know, you know, forcing your children to do stuff during Christmas. I don't know. Anyway, but that's one of my all-time. I think it's
0: very appropriate. Yeah, it's
4: called Little Gray Rabbit." Rabbit, and it was written by Allison Utley. And the illustrations are done by Margaret Tempest. And it's an old book. Mm-hmm. So it might not be easy to find newer versions right. of it, but it is really...
0: Sounds good. lovely. I've never heard of
4: it before. Little Grey Rabbit, really but crazy. it comes on... It's a, it's a cartoon. You can find it on YouTube. And uh, Hair is voiced by Hugh Laurie. <gasps> I know. <laughs> and um, I can't remember who voices Little Grey Rabbit, but I do remember that Hair is voiced by Hugh Laurie, and it just cracks me up because Hair kind of looks like Hugh Laurie. So I'm like, oh, okay. I don't know if that was on purpose or what. Um, of course, I read um, the chapters in Little Women that deal with around Christmas when they go and they help the poor family, and uh, they give up their breakfast for the family to have something to eat. And I, I just love that. That's one of my favorite Christmassy kind of things, mm-hmm. and I always read over that during Christmas. And, um, of course, that was written by um, Louise May Alcott. And The Gift of the Magi by O. Henry Oh, yes, yeah. is one of my all-time, all-time favorites. You know, it's the young couple who don't have anything and they're determined to get each other Christmas presents for the holidays and she cuts off her beautiful, luxurious hair to get him a watch chain and fob for his fancy watch that he's had and been handed down to him. And then he sells the watch to get her combs for her hair. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, (laughs) it's just like, oh, my God, this is so heartbreaking. But again, it's a classic for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the last ones is it's just like it sounds really weird coming after all the rest of these An English Murder by Cyril Hare from 1951. It is a stereotypical kind of classic closed door English manner murder. And I just love it. And it's just like. It has all your characters in it that you would expect, you know, from an English manor house. Uh-huh. And, does
0: yeah. it have a Christmas connection? Or oh, yeah. It? It's, a,
4: a, it's, kind of called, it's called an English murder, but it's a Christmas, uh, Christmas uh-huh. murder, yeah.
0: Oh, that's great! Uh, someone else mentioned uh, reading mysteries at uh, at Christmas time.
4: I know. Uh, yeah, really I don't know. It's just the the feeling that you need to be like all cuddled up and mm-hmm. you know cozy, and it's a, it's a safe way to read something. You know, a murder. Like yeah. you, you think, oh, murders, but you know, most of the murders that I read aren't like gruesome. And right. I don't, I don't More, like your cozy mysteries. I'm a cozy so. mystery kind of person. I'm not into the you know the forensics and all the. Um, gore and no I don't need to know that you know, if there's a dead body and we just don't look at it, right? just to <laughs> burn <laughs> burn a, look away from, from the dead body. <laughs> but those are my my choices for Christmas and things that I often go back to and read every year.
0: Next up, I sat and had a chat with professional communicator and avid reader Jean Graham. I told you Dickens A Christmas Carol was going to come up again, and that is one of Jean's selections. So she talked a little bit about what it, what it means to her. And then another of her selections was maybe a little less expected. Here's Jean.
5: Yeah. Okay. Well, there's two, and the first one would be Charles, really traditional, Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, and that's probably everyone's book. And
0: it has come up for a few other people.
5: I'm not. I'm not surprised. I love the story, and it's particularly associated with Christmas because my children and I love the Muppet Christmas Carol, yes. which is the most textually accurate of the many. Adaptations.
6: Yeah, yeah. It really is, isn't it?
5: It really is, except for, you know, the, the rat part and yeah. the, you know, Marley and Marley. But, you know, it's, it's generally otherwise. It's pretty accurate. And so that's the traditional Christmas book that I would associate with this season. And the other one's a bit weirder because when I was growing up, my dad, who was a, an old Scottish Presbyterian, would every night, every New Year's Eve... At midnight, we didn't celebrate New Year's the way most people did. We just stayed home quietly in the family. We did a puzzle. We played board games. And just before midnight, everyone, dad would pour a drink for everybody. And we would gather in the living room. And he would read the first and last chapter of the revelation of St. John the Divine.
0: Unusual choice.
5: But I didn't know that. You know, <laughs> you're a kid, right? I, and I had Scottish parents in a, in Cornerbrook, right? Yeah. So it was pretty... Uh, so I thought it was just one of those things, like uh, like having porridge for breakfast, or every so often you'd wake up at three in the morning and there'd be a bagpiper in the living room. You know, it was you just know, one
0: of those things that happens when you're a Scottish
5: thing, right? And uh, so it was, and it was a it was a thing. It's what we did, and it was quite. You know, we were all it was just the family, and we were all home. And I can remember the very first the very first New Year's that I. Rebelled and stayed out with my friends instead of coming home for midnight, I had this flash in my head of my dad's face looking serious and, and, and disappointed but brave because British, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
5: You know, stiff upper lip. Yes. Carrying on reading this in my mm-hmm. head and knowing that the, the disappointment was that I hadn't made it home and it was a big deal to him. Anyway, so that's beside the point. So it was years later that I, I thought, you know, I shouldn't really look into this because... I have other friends who have Scottish parents and this mm-hmm. was I discovered unusual <laughs> and and that I looked le- <laughs> <Scottish> huh? <laughs> Well, I went on Google and I found there's a there's a website there they're like the keepers of Scottish tradition all mm-hmm. things Scottish, right? And, uh, and so I wrote to them and said, "Hey, is this like how widespread is this?" And I got back an answer about a week later. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> we've never heard of that. <laughs> But by this time, my father had died, yeah. and so I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't know. He came from a line of Presbyterian ministers. He was actually going to be a minister himself. He was in divinity school at the start, just before World War Two started. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, you should, you know, maybe go into your six months national service now mm-hmm. before the war. And, of course... It was before the war, and yeah. uh, he ended up spending. He didn't demob until January 46, and by that time he had decided not to be a minister, but to be a doctor instead. Mm-hmm. So he was an unusual person, but he did come from a line of Presbyterian ministers, but mm-hmm. no Presbyterians. And it's just a thing that yeah, he did. It was just his thing. I guess. <laughs> I guess. I had no idea. <laughs>
0: Well, there you go. That is an unusual family tradition for
5: sure. It really is. And I didn't keep it up with my own children. And and now um, I was speaking with one of them just the other day, and and they were like, Mom, they went to the Bible and and read what I was talking about and said, Mom, (laughs) this is is weird stuff. (laughs) So there you go. There
0: you go. So as if things weren't already taking a bit of an odd turn with Jean's last selection in the Book of Revelation there, uh, or I guess Jean's father's selection, really, of, uh, of the Book of Revelation, uh, things now take a bit of a dark and spooky turn, uh, at least for part of my conversation with Lara Maynard. Delara has been a guest on this podcast before, as have a couple of these other people, and she likes to be introduced as an avid reader from Torbay. She also likes to read ghost stories at Christmas, so we talked about that a little bit.
7: In recent years, I've really been getting into ghost books, Mm -hmm. ghost stories, but um, before I do that, there are a couple of um, more warm and fuzzy books that I like to reread every year, Uh and those are picture books because I'm not too old for that. Nobody is. Nobody's too old for that. Uh, And the first one is Jack in the Manger, A Christmas Tale by Andy Jones. Uh Uh-huh and I read it out loud to myself okay. and I crack myself up because <laughs> I am hilarious right. Andy Jones is hilarious um, <clears throat> yeah so I think that's a really good one every year it, it's um, it's so funny and yet there's something just so like a truth and a tradition to it that I uh-huh. really like and I read it to my husband one night and he fell asleep in the middle of it oh no <laughs> Uh, but he can sleep on a rock, so yep. I can just read it to myself and be happy. Oh, that's good. And the other one is um, The True Meaning of fest.
0: Oh, someone else mentioned that one, Yeah. Yeah,
7: it's it's by a, a writer from Prince Edward Island, and it's a picture book. Uh-huh. And it's about Urquhart the Mouse, who um, discovers the true meaning of Crumfest. <laughs> because every year in December... Suddenly, if mouse mice from the outside go inside, they find that there are crumbs everywhere because the humans are feasting. Yes, and there's something like just really heartwarming and precious about the whole thing. But it's not twee. Yeah, you know, like how some children's books are. Yeah, too sweet. Yeah, it's not too sweet. It's just really charming. Oh, that's always so perfect. Um, but the Christmas tradition that um, I've been I guess feeding into, and I think there's a real resurgence around, uh-huh. is ghost stories, mm-hmm. and I remember my very first experience of the LSPU hall mm-hmm. was when I was about maybe ten, uh-huh. and my mom took me to see uh, a Christmas Carol, and it was my first play ever, uh-huh. uh, apart from maybe like skits at, you know. Uh, St. Patrick's Day concert or a school... Right, yeah. ...school do. And um, I remember... Like, it must have been dark and cold outside at that time of year. And the LSPU hall itself was kind of dark and cold inside. Uh-huh. And uh, the anticipation of seeing my first play. And then it was this super creepy thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, because it was a Christmas carol. And I remember... Um, you know, seeing the, the actors, particularly, the, I don't really remember Scrooge, mm-hmm. Ebenezer himself so much, but I remember each of the ghosts uh-huh. and their um, their costumes and their wild hair and their chains and their voices. And I remember one moment when um, the, on the mezzanine,
1: mm-hmm.
7: the, one of the ghosts suddenly appeared on the mezzanine and was lighted on the mezzanine. And uh, to me, in my memory, that's like the greatest moment in theater history uh-huh. uh, because you know it was it was it spooked me out so oh, yeah. wonderfully, and I so I guess there's that um, thing where people enjoy being scared half to death, mm-hmm. and and uh, so I have a really strong memory of um, learning or being introduced to Christmas ghosts through yeah. that play, and then. Um, A few years back, just by coincidence, I read um, The Woman in Black by Susan Hill Mm -hmm. in December. And I didn't know when I picked it up, but it's told as a ghost story at Christmas. And it's... it's, um, it actually starts, I think the first line is something like, or it is exactly, it was 9.30 on Christmas Eve. So there you go. It, it feeds into that whole Christmas Eve ghost, storying, uh-huh. ghost story storytelling tradition. Yeah.
0: And are there other Christmas, particularly ghost stories, or <clears throat> other, other books
7: that you, you think of? Just this year in September, there was a new book released. It was another picture book, but uh-huh. it has a ghost component. Um, and that was the little ghost who was a quilt. Oh, Real Nécessaire. Yes. The,
0: from the, no, Brunswick. Yes. Yeah.
7: yeah. And it was released in time for October, and I think that was to, to take advantage of the Halloween angle that's in the book. Mm-hmm. But still, it's a ghost, and it's a really good. It's a really good ghost because there's this little ghost who. Um, is a quilt (laughs) and and he can't understand why he's a quilt because the other ghosts are sheets
0: oh that's great yeah
7: yeah and so he feels left out and his his great-grandmother was a lace curtain (laughs) (laughs) yeah so this little quilt who wishes he was a sheet he doesn't fly very well because he's heavy and he gets too warm because oh, he's a quilt that's adorable yeah and uh, but on this Halloween he has an adventure where um, he learns a lesson and that lesson is that it's okay to be different oh, yeah so it has a little ghostly angle but it's not scary mm-hmm. it's, it's a sweet ghost story but again it's not too twee yeah It yeah. It, it, uh, it doesn't talk down or sugar things up too much yeah. So I really like that. And um, past picture books and into middle grade, mm-hmm. uh, I enjoy Karis Cotters' mm-hmm. ghost books. She uh, the first one I read was *The Swallow*, okay. um, which is set in I think it's Toronto or Ottawa, somewhere on the mainland. And um, yeah, so it has a all three of her middle grade ghosty books have uh, young girls as main characters and there's a lot about uh, friendship and loneliness and family relationships so that was my first experience of Karis was um, The Swallow and then last year for Christmas I gave to my niece who was 11 then I think um, two of Karis's locally set uh, ghost books and um, set in Newfoundland, one of them being The Painting. And uh, that one is set around a lighthouse. And the other one, The Ghost Road. This year I've, I've been looking at um, other Christmas ghost stories, The Gift, and there's a, a pair from V.E. Schwab, uh-huh. who I know she's very famous, but I haven't read any of her books so far. But there's one called City of Ghosts, um, which is a middle grade one, and and that has a, a follow up, so that's a, a book and a sequel. That would be a nice gift pack.
8: Mm-hmm.
7: And um, for on my own wish list, uh-huh. <laughs> there's a series of books called uh, Victorian Victorian Christmas stories from Valancourt Books, and they've uh, published now four anthologies of uh, Victorian Christmas ghost stories. Oh that sounds great. Yeah so if Santa Claus if you're listening. <laughs> we'll
0: try and get a message to Santa if
7: we Yeah, can. I'd, I'd be happy to get those this year. Oh just one more favorite. Oh, okay great. Um, Tim Powers Hide Me Among the Grapes. I don't
0: know that one.
7: It is a wild ride. Mm-hmm. It has a bit of everything. It's not sure what genre it is and I kind of love that. It's um, another Victoria, Victorian setting. London 1862 and um there's a vampire in it who is John Polidori oh. who was um Lord Byron's doctor and he was one of the people who was present the weekend or the when um, Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein yes, yeah. yeah so this is a wild ride it kind of um uh, the Rosettis are in here, lots of famous people, and it has my favorite collection of ghosts ever who do a ghostly rescue. Oh, <laughs> and I, I won't say too much, but it's a really weird and wonderful um, inventive ghost story with one <gasps> major ghost being the vampiric um, Polidori. Uh-huh but also uh, some little side ghosts who are actually my favorite ghosts. Oh, that sounds great. hmm
0: the next person I chatted to was Martha Museczka. And, uh, you know, I always ask people how they want to be introduced. And uh, Martha says, Martha is just fine by me. But Martha is, of course, a communications professional, a columnist. Many of you have read her work. She is a Christmas baker extraordinaire, uh, as well as so many other things. And she is, like all my guests, an avid reader who had uh, lots of great suggestions for uh, their families and her Christmas reading.
9: Uh, There are several that I really like to read, Trudy. Uh, With my family, it's been a tradition to read The House of Wooden Santas day by day. And we've been doing that since Nick was very small. And it's something that we enjoy doing very much. There were a couple of other books that I got when Nicholas was small. And one of them is called Dream Snow by Eric Carle. And it's a beautiful, beautiful story. And the other one is by Mem Fox called Wombat Divine. And it's about a little wombat who desperately wants to be in the nativity play and gets turned down for different roles until he lands the most interesting role of all, and that is baby Jesus in the manger. But it's such a beautiful little story that a friend of mine told me about. And uh, one of the things I really like about Dream Snow, which is about the tradition of Santa Claus is that the edition I have, at the very end, there's a little button that children can push to make a lovely sound, which to me sums up the magic and sparkle of the winter holidays.
0: Oh, that is lovely.
9: I really like this one because... The illustrator who also wrote the book, Eric Carle, he likes to do collages, so there's lots of colors and different textures that come through. So it's a great book to read with small children who are attracted to bright colors. And I like Wombat Divine because it's about dealing perhaps with some disappointment Mm -hmm. and uh, desire and how to manage what it is that you really want and why. And um, I think... This is an Australian writer. She actually came to fame because she was denied access to the U.S. last year when she came to do a book tour. Um, But uh, Mem Fox's, the illustrations are lovely. Carrie Argent does the drawings. And they're very lively and appealing. And, of course, the House of Wooden Santas for people in Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, it's a beautiful story, mm-hmm. um, which to me sums up the spirit of Christmas because I come from that tradition of the Christian holiday mm-hmm. of um, being giving and sensitive and responsive to what's happening, um, but it's also about understanding the transitions of childhood mm-hmm. and how. Um, what's that line that I've seen? Uh, when you're small, you believe in Santa, and by the time you're old, you are a Santa. You
0: become Santa, yes. yes.
9: And uh, and I think that's it's about you know understanding why we give and why that. Uh, I don't like the term charity. I actually like the term that's used in in old versions of the Bible, which talks about caritas, which is the spirit of caring, um, that generosity of I have something and you need something, so I will give it to you with no expectation of getting anything back.
0: And, uh, of course, we both have kids of the age to have grown up with the House of the Wooden Santas. I know on our Christmas tree at home, we still have two little driftwood Santas that my kids made in school the year that their teacher read them House of the Wooden Santas, so it's really... Uh
9: One of the things that we enjoyed doing when Nick was small was to go to the rooms and see Kevin Major's collection of uh, the uh, carvings done by Imelda George and the photographs were done by Ned Pratt. And it was a real special treat just to then remember, oh, this was the Santa that, you know, and then you recall the chapter where it came from. And uh, all these little traditions at one point, I think it was... uh, Alan Hocko did the recording for CBC. Uh So we would listen to that and and that nice little pause where you take that moment to hear the reading of the chapter. And, of course, chapter books that unfold night by night are so special because you make that time. And um, I have to say I really do like it. And a couple of years ago for a Christmas present that was kind of joint for the family, uh, I got a cooking, baking Santa, and a reading Santa, and a toy train Santa made by uh, a local carver here. Uh-huh. And uh, so it's kind of a little memory of all the things that we shared together over the oh, years.
0: Nice. My next guest, Paula Luby Coughlin, is a retired elementary school teacher and an instructor in the Faculty of Education at Munn. And here's what Paula likes to read at Christmas time.
8: I, I have enjoyed reading uh, collections of short stories at Christmas. Uh-huh. So um, the reason why I like that is because you can just read one, and you you know get through it quickly and go, go on to do something else. So one collection of Christmas stories that I really enjoy, and I actually brought it along with me. Excellent. It's called an Island Christmas Reader by David Wheel, uh-huh. and it's just a collection of Christmas stories from Prince Edward Island. Oh, how
2: nice.
8: So, and and I have, like, I it's um, I kind of discovered it a long time ago, uh-huh. uh, but there was one that particularly caught my attention in it, and it was called The True Meaning of Crumbfest.
0: Oh, okay, yeah.
8: And that story went on to have a have like become a little bit famous, and uh-huh. there was a movie, I think, and it was translated into different languages and things like that. So I really, really like it. Touched me oh, the yeah. true meaning of crumfest
0: Yeah, that's a lovely
8: one. You know it.
0: I have heard of it. Yeah. I, I, in fact, I think one of my kids had. I think at some point it must have been like a standalone book because I think one of yeah. my kids had the book when they were yes. correct, when they
8: were small. Yes. So I had, I just found it, I happened to find it in an audiobook version. Oh, okay. As well. Uh-huh. So I really enjoyed that uh, narration on the uh, CD, the audiobook. It's
0: lovely. I, I, th- I think listening to audiobooks, I like any time, but particularly at Christmas, it's nice to like have something
8: to listen to. Yeah, it's nice. And you can listen to it in your car. Yeah. And what I, when I think about that story, I realize that. It really touches me because it speaks about the awe of, about Christmas, Mm -hmm. you know, about being in awe of, for example, the Christ child's birth or, Mm -hmm. or being in awe even of, well, I think it's mostly the nativity is central to the story, but it appeals on a level, on an adult level and on a child level. And I think it is a children's story, but... I'm not sure that children that all children would will immediately grasp the mystic the mystic part of the story so I like stories that appeal on different levels yeah. to yeah. in different ways to yeah.
0: I feel like the best children's stories have a lot in them for adults as well,
8: too. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's the humor. Yes. yeah <laughs> And uh, when the kids don't get the humor, it's it's sort of like I think maybe it's designed not for them to get it.
1: Yeah. And
10: but it is
8: something it. that the the adults can enjoy because the kids don't get the humor, whatever. Yeah. I have other Christmas anthologies like um, there was one. Uh, an anthology of Christmas stories from Newfoundland and Labrador oh, okay. What's that one called an orange for Christmas oh, nice. story and there's a story in this one uh-huh. about an orange or apples and oranges for Christmas yes. you know like the old apples and oranges that our parents got uh-huh. back when they were hanging up their stockings but the Newfoundland anthology is an orange for Christmas I think or an orange from Portugal I'm not okay. sure of the title. But that one, I particularly, there were a lot of stories in that that kind of touched me. Uh-huh. And I had, I liked it so much. And when I was in Hollywood Book Club, uh-huh. we used to, well, I, I'm still in that book club, but we used to exchange a book at Christmas time. Oh. Lovely. And I, yes, and that was a great idea. Yes, yeah. But I gave it away uh-huh. to a person. Who you know, in the hope, okay, yeah. I'm going to share these beautiful stories, and uh, I regret it. <laughs> I regret you it. Don't have it. <laughs> no, 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 but there was, um, I'm trying to remember the stories and that there was one, um, and the title of it was The Chalice. Oh, okay, yeah, and uh, it seemed to not be a Christmas story, but mm-hmm. it was by uh, Lisa Moore. Oh, okay, yeah. And it was a story about, um, you sort of have to reflect, I think, about uh, how it relates to Christmas. It was a story about um, this girl, and she was in Halifax, and maybe it was something, it was Christmas Eve or something like that. And she was just going around the lonely streets. And there was, she encountered this woman who she became friends with. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, I can't, can't remember all of the details, but she went into the store. She went into she went into this woman's apartment or something. But this woman, in, in the end, her body her husband had died, and her body was completely scarred because she had been um, a victim in the Halifax explosion, oh. and all the shards of glass had. Oh, my uh, created all these scars on her body uh-huh. anyway that just stands out in my mind
0: next i sat down with uh, teacher and writer tammy healy drover and we had a great conversation her uh reading recommendation i guess or reading memories focused around one specific book and not just that book but the christmas memories that it called up for her little women really yeah and why
6: I think because of how I look at Christmas in general. Uh I was raised very traditionally in Newfoundland, raised Catholic, all that stuff. But what I didn't know until much later years is that my parents used to put away 1% of my father's pay. And Christmas was the time of magic for me. Like We woke up on Christmas morning, and it wasn't just the presents that were there. They were the stuff you dreamed of all year. We didn't get, we didn't go shopping. We went and got a new dress, a skipping rope, a set of jacks at Easter. You got your birthday presents, which was typically an outfit, a birthday party, and whatever toys you got as presents. And then there was Christmas. And my dad worked at Sears for a lot of years. So we used to get the catalog like everybody else. But unlike a lot of people, my father used to get amazing discounts so we got the stuff that other kids never even dreamed of and three girls meant as much burby <laughs> as you can possibly imagine and we all played together like there's 7 years between me and my sisters but like my I'm 7 years older than the youngest but we all played together so i think when i read little women i was much older i was an adult mm-hmm. but there was some of that camaraderie that was still there like i remember Playing school with my sisters and playing office, and my mother letting us go through the cupboards and take all the canned food out. And we would set up a store in the basement. So I remember the year my sister got a cash register. She was probably five, so I was 12. But being really excited because playing store now when the cousin showed up was going to be so much fun. So I think when I read Little Women, it it echoes that. And I like I like Kris Kringle Christmases. I like homemade and I like time. My former husband and I, we've worked apart a lot, but we always got our holidays together. Uh-huh. And my parents both worked. So if dad worked Christmas Day, mom had it off. Uh-huh. And dad was a fireman, so they used to let the firemen get off a little bit early so that the ones that were working could go in a bit late. And like they, they, they worked it around. And so. When we grew up, my friend across the street ago, so mom was working this year, was she? Because if mom was working, she got to go in an hour later. Dad went in earlier. So on dad's years, we were up at 5 a.m. Oh, wow. And to the point of my, my kids would sleep until 9, and I'd be looking at my husband going, The children are still asleep. He's like, it's fine. I'm like, let's go wake them. So Christmas tree is like before the the sun comes up and all that stuff. And it's the family time and the clock stops for a while. And Little Women does an amazing job of encapsulating that. That time stops for this family. There's very few outside influences Mm -hmm. that take away from the core of the family.
0: Finally, I came back around to probably my favorite podcast conversation partner, and that is, of course, my daughter, Emma Cole, a writer and an English student at Acadia University. And we've had uh, sort of all extremes from children's picture books to ghost stories and and horror stories very much for adults at this time of year. And as I often do, I asked Emma to give me some recommendations from her favorite genre, uh, which is young adult fiction. And she had some great suggestions.
10: Well, I pretty much always associate Christmas with rereading Christmas books. Um, and when I was thinking about this question, I first thought of, like, the ones, uh, more contemporary books from, like, these days that I like to read currently. But then I also thought of a couple that I liked to read when I was a kid. So the two that came to mind were, well, is it the best Christmas pageant ever? Is yes, that what that one is called? Yes. I know we read that as a family a lot. I think they read it to us in school as well. We did, like, our book study or book report or whatever on it um and then also another classic christmas book that you know i loved as a kid or now you know that i loved as a kid was house of the wooden santas yes yeah (laughs) Yeah. um so there are of course uh, lots of like children's christmas books that i uh uh, think of very fondly but of the ones that i are more like young adult that Mm -hmm. i read these days um i like christmas books that are short or ones that have like multiple stories in them because I like to read them like within the week before Christmas or ones that I know I can read all on Christmas Eve or all on Christmas Day Mm -hmm. so for that that would be um My True Love Gave to Me which is that compilation that I think Stephanie Perkins like edited it or whatever but it's got a whole bunch of young adult authors writing little Christmas themed short stories and I love to just like pick out ones that I remember and, and read through them especially around Christmas uh same with Let It Snow uh, mm-hmm. You know, John Green, Maureen Johnson, and Lauren Miracle, those sort of three novellas, I guess you would call them, that oh. are kind of linked. That's another one I like to read.
0: And oh. uh, that one was made into a movie, right? Yes, made into a movie, yes.
10: So good Christmas watching and good Christmas reading. And another one that's being made into a Netflix thing or has already been made into a Netflix project is Dash and Lily's Book of Dares, mm-hmm. which was co-written by David Levithan and Rachel Cohen. Um, I think that was a mini-series, which I haven't watched yet, but I'm saving for, like, the right holiday moment to watch mm-hmm. that because that's a nice short book. And then... um Almost Midnight is a little very tiny book by Rainbow Rowell that has two short stories in it. I think one is more like New Year's themed and the other is Christmas. Um, But yeah, just I love little short stories that are Christmas themed that I can kind of very quickly read and get into like the holiday spirit
0: had some wonderful conversations in this episode with people about their Christmas reading. It reminded me of things that I would like to either reread or read for the first time, and maybe it did the same for you. Have I got a Christmas recommendation of my own? I do, and it's not an old favorite like some of these that, you know, people have gone back to their childhood or their children's childhood. Mine is a fairly recent one, and if you're a regular listener to the podcast... Probably more regular than the podcast itself is, but if you've listened to a number of episodes, you may have heard me uh, promote Catherine Fox's uh, *Linchester Chronicles*. Uh, there are three novels. The first is *The First Is Acts and Omissions*. Then there's *Unseen Things Above* and *Realms of Glory*. Uh, they are novels set around a uh, an English cathedral or, and around the life of um, an Anglican church community. Uh, Said in the present day, uh, Fox is very consciously trying to be kind of a modern-day trollop, but also bringing in uh, really modern concerns. Uh, there's a, a gay priest and his partner. Uh, there's a lot of dealing with you know the issues of the day. And in fact, these novels were written and were blogged on her website more or less in real time uh, in the uh, in the time period that they're happening. And she has just. Uh, just almost come to the end of a new one, uh, Tales from Linford, which she has been blogging chapter by chapter throughout 2020. So of course, there's a lot of uh, very contemporary and very relevant content in there. That one's coming out uh, a little later in the new year in book form, although I've been reading it uh, throughout the uh, throughout the year as she's been posting it. But the original trilogy, The Linchester Chronicles, um, I find they're, they're Christian, they're spiritual, uh, in a way that's very deep uh, for a person of faith to explore and examine, although maybe a little bit uncomfortable if you're a very conservative person of faith. But they're also, I think... They don't shut out people who are not uh, religious or not religious or spiritual in that particular way. Uh, they are really about the human condition and how our spiritual side interacts with all of that. They have wonderful, unforgettable characters. And the reason I think of them as a great reread around this time of year is because being structured around the life of a church community, they are, and being Anglican, they are also structured around the rhythm of the church year, and several of the books begin with New Year's and end at Christmas. or or New Year's again. They kind of go through uh, the life of the church year and the year of the community and this whole rhythm of the seasons. So I find they're really great to reread around this time of year. They're relatively recent books that are new favorites of mine, and I can see myself rereading them uh, between Christmas and New Year's for many, many years to come. Well, whatever you're reading this holiday season, I hope is bringing you a lot of joy and comfort. We all know 2020 has been a challenging year in many ways. We all hope for better things ahead in 2021. Whatever is coming your way and however you're spending your time this holiday season, especially if it's a little more quiet or reserved or lonelier than your holiday season usually is, I hope you will always choose, as I say on this podcast, to read a good book and build your shelf esteem. Hope to be back with more podcasts in the new year.